got a little series here going, going called Faithful. And a week, a Sunday before last, I started this. Today, I want to talk about being a servant. Ask yourself this question. Will those who know me say that I serve others, that I'm a servant? That's a good question, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> the first uh, fill-in on that sheet is growth means change. Everybody say change. Second Corinthians 3, 18, but we all with open face beholding as in a mirror, a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So spiritual growth means change. How many know there's no growth without change? Would you agree with that? If I'm not changing, I'm not growing. So, so Gabriella was born Monday night. I went to see her week's end, and she had already changed from Monday when I first saw her to, you know, the end of the week. She's going to be changing like that. Babies are that way, right? All you got to do is feed them, love them, nestle them, you know, give them the TLC, and it just kind of happens. Um, six years ago, my, my dad died, and um, <clears throat> my dad was, uh, he had a green thumb. He could make anything grow, always had a large garden. And not only a large garden, but he also had fruit trees in his backyard, and he had some Granny, y'all like Granny Smith apples? They make some really good pies and stuff, you know. So green apples. So he had these Granny Smith apples uh, trees in his backyard, and somebody found out about that. And when my dad died, uh, one day I walked in my office at the other building, and I had two Granny Smith fruit trees in my office, little small ones, you know, in my office, and they've got the burlap around the roots and all that, and they were all, you know, anyway. So, uh, so I, I took them home, had someone plant them for me, and so now in my breakfast nook, the back of my house, when I open the blinds every morning, I was there this morning, and I see, I see the Granny Smith apple trees reminds me of my daddy. But, but let, here's the caveat. Um, they were all, both small trees about this tall, shoulder height when, I, when we first planted them. Now one of them is huge, and I've got green apples all over it for the first time. And uh, I've had to put the bug stuff on it because I found out bugs like fruit trees. <clears throat> I guess they taste really good. Uh, so anyway, so uh, anyway, we got this big tree, but then right beside it is the other tree. It never grew. I, I guess the roots never got through the burlap sack on the bottom. I'm not sure. But, you know, I don't care if it grows or not because I don't know that there's enough room for it anyway. You need two because, you know, you got to, they pollinate each other and, they won't have apples without it. So I'm good with it just being small. But, but the idea here is uh, there is no growth without change. And see, when I see those trees now, you know what it reminds me of, Mitch? Don't be like the little tree. It's never grown. It's rarely, it hasn't changed. Six years, it's rarely, it's hardly changed. The other tree, man, it is going crazy. In fact, this year, it's got tremendous growth. And I say, you go, tree. I'm going to help you out. You're going to bear me some apples, and we're going to make some apple pie. Great. So how about my life? Am I growing year after year? I say this a lot, but in American culture, we've gotten lax spiritually. And we take spiritual things as a side thought. And the main thought is what I want to do because I'm real busy and I need a break. And, and we take church, you know, just kind of, well, take it and leave it. Maybe so, maybe not. Church life, spiritual life, our God life. How many know he is the most important person in our life? 
So, you know, I'm an advocate for personal growth, personal change. I think you should keep yourself physically, mentally, as well as spiritually. I do things to make sure as I age that my mind stays a student strong. I do things every single day. In fact, I make a part of my everyday life what I want tomorrow to look like. So I have a relationship with the Lord close every day in the Word, in prayer. I have a relationship with Susan. We have face-to-face time. Uh, I text my children uh, I talk to my friends. I do things. I, I take care of my physical body. I exercise. I'm an advert, uh, believer in ec- good exercise as you age. I, and I do things to stretch my mind. I read a variety of materials on all kinds of subjects. Because you know if you just work this thing between your ears, it's amazing what it can do. Would you agree? So don't let it get lax on you. And then spiritually, see. Spiritually, I'm always asking myself, how am I doing? Am I different now than I was three months ago? How about, how about first quarter as compared to second quarter? You know, we're ending second quarter now, going into third. How am I doing? Am I changing? Am I any different? Have I made progress? See, I ask myself, spiritually, am I making progress? Then I think, I honestly do this. I think last year this time, what was I doing? What was I thinking How was I living? How were me and the Lord? And if I can't see growth, I'm backsliding. How many hear me? And Jesus talked, he didn't say good things about lukewarmness. And that is having a lackadaisical attitude about him and the things of the kingdom of God. So I just want to be growing. Then, you know, as you age, you can do this. So I think five years ago, what was I doing? 10 years ago, how was I doing? Now I can say 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, if you can't see progress like that little tree, something's wrong. Is that right? So growth means change. Then then here's another thought. Uh, To grow spiritually, this is true, you have to give yourself away. You have to serve. There is no spiritual growing without serving. That is taking my eyes off of me and putting my eyes on something other than me. Others, the things of the kingdom of God. There is no growth if I invert my vision only to me and my stuff. And today, life is all about I, me, mine, mine. I mentioned it Wednesday night. I've got to say it again. It's all about pleasing me, helping me, helping me overcome. You know, our culture has a lot of problems. And we take a lot of drugs for a lot of problems. Nothing wrong with that necessarily if you need it. But I'm just saying, you know what? We have a self-focus that is costing us deeply. How many hear me? And if God wants, if we want God to do something great in our country again, it's going to be us taking our eyes off of ourselves instead of being self-focused, being God-focused and others-focused. What do you think about that? Hmm. So, uh, something happened to me when I was young. In fact, I was just um, trying to think, maybe just a a few months old in the Lord. I wasn't very old spiritually, so this had to be late 1976. This dates me, 1977. And, um, and, and the church I uh, began attending had a Bible school that I eventually went to. And, uh, but I had some good friends. Every Friday night, we would go to each other's home. There's one house particularly that we went to as a friend of mine's home, and he rented it. And we would just get together and play guitars and sing Kumbaya and just have a good time, you know, and... Uh, and, and we bring friends and such, and I, actually, I met Susan there. And uh, we'd sing and talk, and we'd talk about our stuff, and talk about life, and talk about God. And, and so we, one time we were there, and, and uh, we had a, 
Uh, one of my friends brought someone who didn't know the Lord. And boy, I mean, one of my friends got him right, right, right on the edge of the couch. And he pulled an ottoman up to him. And boy, I mean, he began to talk to him about the things of God. And I overheard, and, and I was very young in the Lord, but it bothered me what I heard. And he said, well, if you come to Jesus, Jesus will give you this. Jesus will give you this. God will bless you. He'll make you prosperous. You'll be, have health. You'll have wealth. You'll have this. You'll have that. And so something just set off in me like, he shouldn't be saying that. Because salvation's God rescuing me from me. And God rescuing me from sin. And God delivering me from hell. I have a debt I can't pay. Jesus paid it for me. But he was making it. Look at all these goodies. God's, God's got a goodie bag. And out of that goodie bag, God's going to bless you with goodies. And I got to thinking, you know, if, if this guy comes to the Lord like that, the wrong foundation. How many of us have the wrong foundation thinking that salvation's all about me, 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 me? You know, salvation's all about me growing and me becoming like Jesus. And to do that, I have to take my eyes off of me. Let me encourage you seriously. This has happened in my life. I mean, I, I'm the least likely candidate to succeed in my own eyes when I was young. And uh, of all the people in my high school class, 1975, to me, I was the least likely to succeed because I just had so many issues and challenges and personal things that I was dealing with. And then when God spoke to me six months into my salvation experience in February 1977 and said, I want you to preach, it dumbfounded me. It's like, you, you really made a mistake for the first time, God. <laughs> Seriously. Got your wrong dude. But you know, God is uncanny with what he thinks and feels about us. He, think, he sees you differently than you see yourself. You see your foibles, your problems, your inadequacies. God sees your strengths. God sees the end from the beginning. Is that true? Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. And whatever God's called you to be and do, that's what he sees you as. And, uh, and I didn't see myself that way. But you know what God did? He took me through a series of events where constantly I was having to take my eyes off of me, put my eyes on other people, quit thinking about my problems, quit, quit, <laughs> quit crying in my, in my own tea and just start thinking about other people. And I didn't realize it was a setup little bit by little bit. God was changing me. And how many know it's true? For we used to have a song we sang back in the 70s, from glory to glory, he's changing me. His likeness and image to perfect in me. That only happens when we take our eyes off of us and put them on others. Would you agree with that? So uh, anyway, Jesus has called us to be a servant. That's not popular in American culture today. So a couple of questions here. Are you making your, and this fill in, are you making yourself available for spiritual growth by being a faithful person with a servant mindset? Seriously, think about that. Um, a lot of people let busy, and I hear this a lot now. You know, we've got several hundred volunteers that help us do what we do here at Victory Church. And, uh, and I'm always encouraging, and you know I am, to get involved. It's not that we need more volunteers, but you need to, you need, and see, I'm going to change that word volunteer in, in a minute. It's not that we need more people to help us, but you need to do it because it helps you. And without giving of myself to others, I never grow. How many hear me? 
And, you know, but a lot of people say, well, you know, I got all this going on. I got that going on. I can't do this because, you know, my job's just busy and this, blah, blah, blah. Let me, let me give you a perspective. One day, a hundred years from now, all this will be over for us. Would you agree? Because if Jesus doesn't come back, your body's going to die and your spirit's going to leave and go to heaven. And then, and then there's this place I mentioned a few weeks ago called the reward seat of Christ. And we're all going to be there. And he's going to talk to us about what was important to him in our lifetime on earth. And you know what I think? The things that he thinks important, we don't think are important. That's what I think. So, you know, I'm constantly having to judge my own perspective. How many are hearing me? So, you know, God's called all of us to go and make disciples of all nations. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. A disciple is a committed person uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ who is learning from him every single day. And a disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus, you got to serve somebody. You have to be a servant. So can I challenge you? We've got a lot of people on our dream team, people that are already serving. If I ask for a show of hands this morning, many of you will raise your hands and say, I'm serving others. I'm helping you. So I want to ask you some questions here. Are you a time-conscious volunteer? Or are you, do you see yourself as a faithful servant? So again, what happens in our culture just kind of bleeds off onto us. And the, and the attitudes and behaviors of our culture is so easy for us to live that way. And you have to cut across the grain to be different. How many know it's true? Jesus had this issue with his disciples. Listen to Mark chapter 10 uh, 35 through 45, just 10 verses. Then James and John, sons of thunder, somebody called them, sons of Zebedee, came over, spoke to him. Jesus, teacher, they said, uh, what, would you do us a favor? What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne. Now, you know, they, <laughs> they had some gumption to do this. When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the place of honor next to you. Well, God bless you. One on your right hand, the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Uh, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were mad at him. You crazy? Well, who do you think you are? Go sit with Jesus in heaven for eternity? Are you kidding me? You guys, you guys, you can almost hear him taunting them, right? Um, so Jesus called them together. You know, the rulers in this world lord it over other people, their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And they were thinking about the Roman Empire and the hierarchy there and, the, and those that were in charge. They were served by others. And because they were officials, they were in charge. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be the leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Now, he changed the equation, didn't he? Big time. Uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. See, they were still thinking the way their culture thought when they came to Jesus. And often we think the way our culture thinks. You know, we think, God bless me, 
God says, get your butt off the seat and, let, and do something for somebody else. And you see what I can do for you. How many get it? He wants us to serve. So we often come to a church. What's in this for me? Do I like this place? Are the lights just right? Is the music just right? Are the people just right? What's that pastor like? Instead of thinking, how can I give? How can I serve? How can I make myself available? That sets us up for spiritual growth. The other sets us up to never change like that little tree in my backyard. How many hear me? So let's ask ourselves, when I think about my spiritual life with Jesus, when I think about being part of a church, do I think of what I can get out of it? Or do I think of how I can give and how I can serve? And that answer determines whether or not we grow spiritually. Next blank. Our focus must change from ourselves to others. So again, as I mentioned, overcome our problems, we've got to take our eyes off of us. It's really hard to overcome your stuff with your eyes on yourself. Have you figured that out yet? You know, I, I'm like you. Sometimes I have a hard day and, you know, you know if, if, if you're in a position of responsibility, there's somebody not going to like what you do. And sometimes I'm, I'm kind of feeling sorry for myself. And, and then the Lord just quickly reminds me, Mitch, it ain't about you. It's about me. I was thinking that way the other day and I was praying and God reminded me of Isaiah 53, 3, talking about Jesus. He is despised. And rejected of men. He said, get over it, son. Just get, get your eyes off you. You know, if Jesus had that attitude, he wouldn't have went to the cross, would he? Servant, servant attitude. I regularly mention Job here. And I want to read this passage, but you remember Job. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Job was the wealthiest man in his region in his time. Job was the first book of the Bible that was written, even though it's not the first book of the Bible. But it's the oldest book of the Bible. And uh, Job was a wealthy landowner. He had then, if you were a wealthy person, you had a lot of land and you had a lot of animals. And Job had both and he had sons and daughters. And so people viewed him in his culture as an extremely opulently wealthy person. And Job went through, if you read Job chapter 1, Job went through an era of time that misfortune after misfortune happened. He lost his, he lost his uh, animals. He lost his family. And lastly, he lost his health, got down, got down to absolutely nothing. He actually even began to decry the day he died. He was so full of uh, upsetness over what had happened to his life. And then, you know, uh, his friends came and said, well, you must have done something really awful and yada, yada. And they had their opinions and such. And all the whole book of Job is, is you know, Job answering. Job never blamed God for his problems in all that happened to him, losing his family, losing his children, losing his livestock, losing some of his property and all that. He never, he never complained to God about it, never blamed it on God. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We've sang the song. But then the key turning point in Job's life is the very last chapter of the book of Job. Job 42, verse 10, when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, sisters, former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted because of all of the trials the Lord had brought against him and, or the Lord allowed to come his way, not that God did it. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000. He had seven to begin with. 6,000 camel. He had 3,000 to begin. 1,000 team of oxen. 
He had 500 to start with. Go read Job 1. 1,000 female donkeys and so on. He gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He was a blessed man. Why was he blessed? God, the, the turning point was he took his eyes off of himself and put his eyes on us. You remember the scriptures? We often use this in giving, but it's really talking about all of life. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Not a little bit, good measure. Press down, shake it, shaken together and running over. With the measure that you give, it's measured back to you. And then Proverbs 11, I was thinking about that. Verses 24 and 25, it's not in the notes. There is one who scatters and yet increases. There is one who uh, withholds more than necessary and it tends to poverty. Then he said the liberal soul will be made fat or wealthy. And he who, who blesses others will himself be blessed. See, there's the principle of Scripture. If I want God to pour into my life, I must adopt a servant's attitude or it won't happen. So I want to encourage you. Again, we have a lot of people that help us on our dream team here, a lot of people that are, are serving others, and really they're the backbone of what we do. You know, you think the pastor runs the church. That's not true. You do. We do. We all work together, and how many know things happen and we're able to reach our community? So, you know, I want to encourage you, if you're not part of our dream team, that's our servant force here that helps us do what we do. That's our ushers, that's our greeters, that's the people that run the sound, the visuals, our parking lot attendants, it's the people that take up the offering, it's the people that pray in the prayer room, it's the people that oversee and help all of our children's ministries, our youth ministry, our outreach ministries, everything we do. It takes people that are servants, people that are faithful. You can be a part of that. If you're not, I encourage you to be. Secondly, I encourage this mega sports camp. I encourage you, if you could, maybe even take a vacation week that week we're looking for 10 more volunteers to help as he said on the video that'd be a great way to give yourself away and be a servant i would double you know used to say i'd double dog dare you give yourself away what if you gave yourself away that week i guarantee you the next week you'd think you know something's happened inside me i'm different than i was i feel differently than i did because god will work in you when you see yourself as a servant and when you act that way how many how many hear me so as I end this, I've got a couple of things. Um, I want to change the term that I've even used today. We often say we need so many volunteers. I want to change, and I'm working on, and I know how to do this. I've done it with lots of colloquialisms that I've received from people, usually when you're around people and you're talking to people in the office or on your job or in leisure time. Somebody will come up with a colloquial expression, and you'll find yourself saying that because you've been around them. You've done that, right? And sometimes I've done that thing. Why in the world am I saying I don't even like that? Why am I saying that I'm gonna break that habit and the only way I break it is to work on it and every time I say it say I'm not gonna say it anymore I say it out loud I'm not gonna say that anymore and I eventually break the habit so I've got to break the habit of calling our volunteer force here volunteers I've got to call them servants because God dealt with me about this I want to give you eight comparisons between being a volunteer and being a servant and this is the reason I didn't uh, let you cheat this week you've got to listen to me so I even filled out my sheet. Here we are. Eight comparisons between being a volunteer and being a servant. Number one, volunteering is an action. Think about it. Serving is an attitude. An action is something you do one time at one location. Okay? 
But see, serving is an attitude. You take an attitude everywhere you go in everything you do. Huh? So you can be a servant on your job, in your office, at home, even at the park with leisure time, helping somebody with the child. Can you? But see, volunteering is an action at a location and serving is an attitude. Number two, volunteers focus on what they give. See, the focus is, on, well, I'm just doing a lot. Look at me. See, the focus is on them. Volunteers focus on what they give. Servants focus on what Jesus gave. Isn't that good? It's not about me, it's about him. And I'm working in league with him. Number three, volunteers often keep score. Hmm. Servants make sacrifices. Isn't that good? Volunteers often keep score. They're looking around. Am I doing as much as, am I doing more than other people? Let me see. Should they be recognizing me? Let me, let me see. Anybody recognize that I got here a little bit early this time? Anybody recognize how many Sundays I've done this or this or this? Anybody recognize, anybody looking? No, no, no. Volunteers keep score. Servants make sacrifices. They're not thinking about themselves. I'm thinking about, thank God I get to help this person. Thank God I get to open this door for this person, the greeter says. Thank God that usher says, I'm able to seat people as it fills up in this place. Thank God I can help the pastor. I can put his table and chair up there. Thank God. Thank God I can, thank God I can, I can change the diapers in the nursery so those, so those parents can hear the word without wondering and being concerned about their child, knowing that the child's diapers change, knowing that they're being fed, they're being well taken care of. Isn't that good? A servant's attitude. Number four, volunteers are time sensitive. Servants are need sensitive. Well, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I got this and this and this. That's a, that's a volunteer. Servants are need sensitive. I'll, I'll do this as long as it's necessary because there are people here. See, the focus is not on me, mine, mine. The focus is on others. Number five, volunteers make us. Volunteering makes us look good. Serving makes God look good. Who's watching me? Do they even care that I'm an usher? Is anybody even noticing that I'm out in the parking lot sweating my guts out on Sunday, helping people park so they don't run into each other when they're backing up out of their you know, parking place? No, no, volunteers make us look good. Serving makes God look good. Number six, volunteering is about convenience. Serving is about commitment. So see, servants come early. Servants will stay late if they need to. Is that right? It's quiet. It's not convenient. You know, it doesn't fit my plans for me to have to leave home too early to get here and do this, that, or the other on a Sunday or or, or leave work and just squeak in the driveway because I just got off of work on Wednesday. I get it, you know. Serving's about commitment. Volunteering's convenience. Number seven, volunteering can make people feel superior. Mm-mm-mm. See, it's a self-focus, isn't it? Servants learn humility. If I have a servant focus, I'm not thinking about me. I'm not thinking about what others think about me. I'm thinking about God and his kingdom and other people. Am I helping them? Then lastly, number eight, volunteers are good at me. Servants are good at we. 
Isn't that good? Yeah, just something to think about. Am I a servant? Do I have a servant mentality? So here's the last thing. Regardless of what we're called to do in life, this is important. If we're faithful, we all get the same pay. I love, I like and don't like this. (laughs) But this is the way God is. I mean, listen, I've had businesses in my past and, you know, I'm the CEO and, you know, president of Victory Church International Incorporated. We got people here that we work, that work for us. And so when you're an employer, you're thinking about this. Boy, it's like, wow, man, this guy's tough. But here's the kingdom of God. And it's so different than the way we think. For the kingdom of God, Matthew 20, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing, passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. That is a day's wage. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon and again at three o'clock. He did the same thing. At five o'clock in the afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, what haven't you been working today? They replied, no one's hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Something's not right here. When they received their pay, they protested. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. When those uh, hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and you've paid them just as much as you've, as you've paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. I mean, they had a reason to complain, don't you think? Yeah, that's not fair. He answered one of them, friend, have I been unfair? Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then. And those who were first will be last. Wow, that's an equalizer, man. How would you like for your boss to pay the person who was just hired and they get the same vacation, the same benefits, and you've been there 15 years? Let me give me a break, right? Such is the kingdom of God. God doesn't look at what you do, the accumulative amount of what you do. God doesn't look at the position that you hold. The number one criterion for God is Is this person faithful? Not faithful to anything, faithful to what I asked them to do. And if you're faithful, you know what? If you're changing diapers in the nursery and you do it for the glory of God, when you get to heaven, you get the same pay I get. Nobody sees you. Nobody knows your name. Nobody hears you. Your, bo- your name's not on books all over the world. But when you get to heaven, you get the same reward as the m- most well-known evangelist of all time. Because God is no man's debtor. Wow. And God doesn't think the way th- we think. God thinks faithfulness. 
God thinks servant's heart. And let me tell you something about God. And this was challenging to me. I noticed that God never told me. He told me he wanted me to be in ministry in 1977 as a pastor scared the bejeebies out of me. You know, the number one fear uh, for the general public is public speaking. And I had that times 200 because I was an introvert. But, and you know what? God told me he wanted me to preach and minister what he didn't tell me was how to get there. So I, I had enough sense to think if I'm going to say something, i got to have something to say. So I went to Bible school, went to three. But that didn't make me a man of God. What made me a man of God was, and, and God didn't tell me to do this. I just knew I, I, I need to do something. If I'm not helping somebody, how can God help me? And little bit by little bit, I just started serving people. I started out cutting grass at a church. I started out, I told you a couple of weeks ago, setting chairs down at a church, cleaning toilets, swapping, you know, cleaning the floors, emptying the trash can, doing whatever's necessary, visiting in the hospitals, ministering, you know, here, ministering there, anywhere I could, one-on-one didn't matter. The idea is if you give yourself away, when you give, God gives back. If you have a servant mentality, you're going to grow spiritually. So, so let me end the way I started. What are we going to be next year this time? Are you going to look like that big green apple tree in my yard that right now has lots of fruit on it? I mean, this thing is huge. And I bet it's at least 25 feet tall, right? It's just huge. And it's covering my backyard. Or are you going to be like that little stunt, stunted apple tree? The stunted apple tree just can't get beyond itself somehow. That big one, he's thinking, thinking about, thinking about the future, thinking about giving me some apples. So how about me and you? I just want to encourage you. Let's move ourselves. Let's, let's be different than our culture. 